Okay, welcome to the Aware Audio Experience. Before we get into our amazing guest for the day, I want to thank our sponsors, Aware Apparel, devoted to limiting barriers to awareness. Check out Aware-Apparel for their latest product suite, the Sensory Collection, which includes things like the Aroma Bracelet, helping inspire little moments of reflection along with the Mantra Tea made from the most buttery, silky smooth bamboo fabric out there. Our guest for today, his name is Duran Levitan, proud to call him my father. He is a very successful businessman that turned into a healer, a therapist. He studies psychosomatic healing or practices, should I say? Is that correct? Somatic therapy. Somatic therapy, which has a lot to do with the body. And mindfulness. And mindfulness. Cool. So a perfect guest. I listened to your wonderful podcast from the past couple of episodes. The first few episodes, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to connect a few things okay. together, which you guys were really great in describing, but I felt was a little disconnected. I just wanted to set the record straight, so to speak, and maybe like add a piece to it. You talked about yoga, surfing, meditation, and all kind of those ways of connecting with yourself, connecting with the natural world, feeling more centered. Mm -hmm. I want to tell you a little bit about the history where yoga and meditations are one. You know, this is why they call them yogi. The teachers were yogis mm -hmm. because they were sitting for hours and hours. And part of the yoga practice was actually the, dealing with the pain of sitting for hours. Mm. You're sitting in a lotus position for three hours mm -hmm. and dealing with the body pain. That was kind of the meditation. How do I relieve the pain? How do I work with the resistance and the pain in the body? Mm. But before they would sit, they would do yoga. A lot of stretching. A lot yeah. of stretching, because so they can sit for three hours. Mm. As you guys know, because you do yoga, a good yoga session is almost like a great massage. Like you feel really relaxed mm -hmm. and you feel more centered. So there is already a spiritual opening happening in the yoga practice in preparation for sitting. So they're actually one of the same. You do yoga and then you sit. So this is actually not separated. It's really one. It's the, in this modern world here in this society, in the U.S., it's separated. People go to yoga classes and that's it. Maybe they do a minute meditation in the end. I don't know, mm -hmm. a few minutes. But it really was one practice. That makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, I think maybe I was loosely aware of that, but I never really knew that full level of detail. But I think in our prior episodes talking about yoga, the physical activity of yoga or the physical activity of surfing or something like that was a good way to help get deeper into the meditation right, so a beautiful so actually I, want, I would say this it's actually great to do some hectic activity before you sit mm -hmm. that's the connection of body and mind mm -hmm. because you want the body to be a part of it mm -hmm. so by you know either doing yoga or even jogging or wrist walking or whatever it is mm -hmm. and then you sit mm -hmm you feel calmer. There's something about calming the body mm -hmm. by actually activating it to a kind of a high yeah. level and then you come in to the meditation. So there is, it is the body-mind connection here is really important because really it's one of the same, but to relax the mind, first you want to relax the body. Yeah, we were talking about how it's really tough now with the way that most jobs are set up that you're sitting still for like nine hours, 10 mm -hmm. hours, mm -hmm. and then you're expected to come back and meditate and you've already been still for your full exactly. day that you need some physical, you know, it, yes. it might be helpful for many people to have a physical release before. I absolutely, I know my, for myself, my routine is first I walk, mm -hmm. a brisk walk in the morning for half an hour, and then I sit. Mm -hmm. If I sit right away, 
it takes me a lot longer to mm-hmm. get in. So I'm actually missing part of the meditation and trying to relax in myself. Mm-hmm. So by walking, releasing that energy, having that body kind of like move, the blood move, the muscles move, the meditation is deeper. So I would recommend to people at office, if you want to meditate, go for a walk for 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Go up and down the stairs, whatever it is, and then sit. Mm-hmm. And you'll have a much more productive meditation. Because going from your cubicle to the meditation room, it's hard. It's going to be very difficult for your mind to yeah. come down. That's what Reed was saying last time. Like He sits in work and then to go into meditation feels weird. So after you do yoga and then you hit Shavasana, you're like, okay, mm-hmm. time to Shavas or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call that part. You mean in the laying down? And yeah, that like yeah, Absolutely. You know how that feels, right? You really feel melting to the floor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would not happen to you the first few minutes of the yoga. Yeah. If you just lay on the floor, you would not feel the same. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? That that intensity in the muscles. It's a release. And the release. You know, there's a beautiful yoga where they actually have you lift, you know, your arm or different limbs, mm-hmm. tighten them up and I'm up and then letting go. And then the next one and let it go. And then you go into yoga. Because mm-hmm. that actual feeling of of really holding it mm. and then releasing several times that helps you melt mm-hmm. more hmm. well, you're like prompting the release yeah because otherwise I think you sit down and you have to work on releasing the body the body is such a and this is where I'm coming from the somatic world and I'm learning more and more just understanding psychologically the story that you had you mm-hmm. know your childhood your trauma whatever it is understanding it is, is great Having awareness is great, but if the body stores a lot of pain mm-hmm. and information, and if you don't deal with the body, you never fully heal yourself mm. because the body holds the aliveness. Our aliveness is in our body. Mm-hmm. It's not in our head. Mm. So a lot of, st- a lot of time you, think, you find people are getting their story, but they're still like struggling. Mm-hmm. And the real release, the real coming to this happiness in your life, that joy that we all looking for, is by letting it go out of the body. Doesn't I think soma, like somatic soma, is Greek for body. Correct. I think it's a Greek root. Soma mm-hmm. is the Greek word for body. Mm-hmm. Correct. And exactly right. So there's a lot, a lot more of the therapeutic world now is shifting into dealing with the body as well. Mm-hmm. There's a huge shift right now. Talk therapy is, you know, our mind is super sophisticated. Mm-hmm. It's playing jujitsu with the therapist mm. and it's playing jujitsu with ourselves. It's blocking all the time. This kind of like, you want to go there, I don't want to go there. We're very sophisticated in words and ideas and, and we're very logic in this world. The body is very simple. Mm. So somatic therapy with mindfulness actually say you have some sort of attention in your stomach. As you tell me a story about your mother, something that happened with your mother years ago, you know, she was yelling at you. I'm less interested in the story. I'm more interested in the storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I'm paying attention to, okay, what's happening to your body when you tell me that story? And you say, oh, I feel some tension in my stomach. So I'll go after that. I'll say, okay, let's, let's just pay attention to that piece. Mm-hmm. Following that tension in your stomach will bring us to the memory much faster, hmm. to your belief much faster. Oh, I, I'm, I shouldn't be doing certain things. Say, you know, I'm trying to do something great and my mom yelled at me. So being great is maybe I get punished. Doing something in the world could be, I could be punished for. Maybe that's the belief. You know, I'm, I'm not going to follow the story so much. I want to follow what's happened to your body when you tell me the story. Your sensations in your body when you're telling me the story. And through that door of the body, I will get into a much deeper place. Mm-hmm. It will bring up a deep memory, a deep realization, a deep belief that you developed over the years or because of that, those incidences. And that will take us straight to 
the core. Help me understand that more. So you're working with someone and they're describing a trauma that they experienced. Let's say they're describing, um, they may not describe a trauma right away. That's something that's too hard for them to describe. It usually starts with today. Mm -hmm. They'll say, you know, I had this conversation with my boss and he was yelling at me. Mm-hmm. And I felt really, really sad. Like I could not function the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. And I'm saying, okay, put yourself back in the room. What did you talk about? Back in that same place and remember talking to your boss and pay attention to what's happening to your body when you do that, mm-hmm. right? So now they're talking, to the, they're there. Mm-hmm. I put them in mindfulness, right? They close their eyes. It's a meditative state. What do you feel? And they'll say, you know, I feel this really tight knot in my chest. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm going after. And then you ask. So pay attention to the tight knot in your chest and breathe into that and look, you know, just give it a lot of space. And what happens then, that they might take him to a memory from the past. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that right away take him to a place where their father yelled at them when they were five years old, mm-hmm. when they were trying to clean the yard and mm. uh, they spilled uh, something. Yeah. And this is what I'm after. Mm-hmm. Where and, and they got really sad because the dad didn't, you know, wasn't appreciative of what they were doing. They had good intentions and they were they, they became really depressed after that. This is what I'm following. Mm-hmm. The why, when someone yells at you, you become sad. It didn't, didn't start with your boss. There's something that a much deeper belief, early belief that was formed many years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm after that. And when they pay attention to that, I have all kinds of techniques to bring them back to, if for, an, for an example, I would say, let's stop and you can come in as you're 40 years old now into that scene with your father yelling at you, what would you tell yourself now? Mm-hmm. And they would say, you know, hey, you tried to do something great. You know, your dad didn't pay attention. Don't be mad at him. We're shifting the belief. It's the same story, right? Same story. That story didn't change. How we view the story changed. Mm-hmm. So in our mind, there's some relief to that. And that usually puts him in a much calmer place. And I'm leaving them in a calmer place in mindfulness as long as I can. And we're rewiring the brain. But that's a, that's a really powerful and beautiful technique to to use the body as like this clue and this hint to to bring you back to the it's like an anchor point correct so the body actually has a much deeper memory Hmm. than our brain were willing to release like the the memory is stored in the brain but it would be much harder for us in conversation to get to that memory but the body will remember it in seconds and is that because our brain it has all these defenses built in where we build paths around these traumas exactly and our bodies maybe not as good at well it's not not as good our body is very simple and straight to the point mm-hmm. it's actually really great our body mm-hmm. our body is wonderful because it's not having it doesn't have that sophistication of oh i have the neocortex i want to make a lot of stories around it and and, and i protect mm-hmm. myself and it's better for me not to go this way and not mm-hmm. go, you know it's like we tell ourselves all these new stories to avoid pain you know we all about pain avoidance mm-hmm our entire system is about pain avoidance. Mm-hmm. One of my teachers actually says, you take a hot needle, mm. a burning needle, and you put it next to an amoeba, right? amoeba, amoeba that has no, uh, no, brain. no, no brain, no, uh, no, no, no nerves, in, no nothing. Yeah. Right? It's just basically a cell, right? Yeah. Put it next to it, it will shrink. Run away. It will shrink. Yeah. It doesn't have a brain, no nervous system, but it will shrink. And if you think about it, every cell of our body is trying to avoid pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes on the level of the cell of trying to avoid pain. So if you think about a brain and a much more sophisticated system like, you know, our organs, we're all about pain avoidance. So in our childhood, we're trying to avoid pain as much as possible. And we create all these structures to avoid pain. And this we carry into our adult years. This is the strategy 
that we have in living our life, right? But of pain avoidance. When those things happen to us and give us this deep pain, suffering in our adult life, the way to resolve it is to go to the core, figure out where was it formed, shift that belief, and come fresh into life with this new belief of, you know what, the spaciousness around it. I don't have to go to that contracted, sad, painful place. I'm much better now. Hmm. That's really powerful. Yep. It is. Yeah, That's yeah. really powerful. Yep. I've just been an amoeba my whole life, <laughs> dodging hot needles. <laughs> it's actually amazing how much pain we're storing in our body and how much tension and stress we store in our body. And when you put people through, there's a beautiful book by Peter Levine called Releasing the Tiger. It's talking about how we are an organism. Hmm. And you know, when, um, when a deer get hit by a car, you know, not fatal, he just get bumped by a car, they'll fall down, they'll get up and shake for like five minutes and they'll disappear hmm. and just take off running. They shook off all the trauma, they're done. As humans, something happened to us. We don't do it, we don't shake, right? We basically, some tra something traumatic happened to us, we stop and try to go back to our life. That trauma is stuck in our system mm -hmm. and it's stuck in our body. And that turns into a back pain, a loss of hair, a rush, depression, whatever that is, but it's, it's stuck Star, in our body, yeah. right? We need to go back to that place to release that plane from our body because we parked it there. Mm. We just didn't complete that natural thing that an organism does to let go of that trauma. Is there like a pattern to how mental traumas or suffering or pain, how that manifests in the body or certain... You know, I think it almost makes me think like reflexology where... Oh, I see. If there's a map? If there's a, you know, depression a, anchors in the gut and... and it's a very beautiful question, actually. Um, there's a system made in Denmark where they took the anatomy of the muscles hmm. and they connected different muscles to different type of issue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your lower back will be support. Your thighs will be your freedom or anatomy or autonomy. Mm. And on and on. So they do. They did connect the body muscle structure, each muscle, into a belief or brainy kind of an issue, right? Mm -hmm. There are some theories about how specific areas in the body actually connect directly to an issue in mm -hmm. your life. You know, does it always follow that? Maybe not. What What I know for sure is that we are storing pain in our body. Mm -hmm. Now you, you may take your trauma and store it in your knees and I will do it in my lower back. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I feel. I don't mm -hmm. know if necessarily it's a different kind of trauma or whatever, but I know that we do put our pain, our mental pain, phys into physical pain in our body. I put all my pain into my biceps, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they're so small. Not, not much pain there. <laughs> that's why there's not much pain there. <laughs> You're doing well. <laughs> difference between meditation and mindfulness or like the relationship between meditation and mindfulness well mindfulness is a type of meditation okay so meditation is the overarching practice mm -hmm. there are many ways to practice meditation mindfulness is one of the ways to practice meditation oh, we actually we're thinking it was the other way. I'm glad we're talking. <laughs> so Vipassana is usually mindfulness, right? What is it? So, Vipassana? So, yeah, so it's about paying attention to your breath, being mindful of your breath. The practice is to close your eyes and be very mindful of your breath, right? So you, you pay attention to your breath coming into your nose, hitting the back of your throat, your chest going up and down. It's like you're very... It's about concentrating on one thing and trying this, this way, not having too many other thoughts, but concentrating on one thing. It's having the brain practice to concentrate on one thing. There's other kinds of meditations, uh, TM, 
which is, uh, has to do with a mantra. And you, you get a mantra and you keep saying the mantra in your head to concentrate on the one word, therefore not have, you know, and then not have other thoughts, too many thoughts running around your brain. So learning to practice, to, to concentrate on one single thing. It's not that you stop thinking. You guys said it in your podcast, which was really very, very true. You can not think. Even when you, if you are, your mind is very clear and you say, oh, I have no thought, that's a thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you cannot not think. It's about observing your thoughts. It's really about, about the consciousness, which is us knowing we are, we are us. I me mean, knowing it's me, it's my consciousness, right? It's becoming the observer of what's happening and separate the two. It's meditation, but separating the two. Mm-hmm. All those techniques are coming down to separating yourself and having the consciousness seeing yourself as who you are. In other words, don't be your thoughts, observe your thoughts. Don't be your emotions, observe your emotions. For example, if you're feeling a lot of, you know, you're feeling sad, you can say, well, I'm just really sad. Or you can say, I'm experiencing sadness today. There's a difference. Because mm-hmm. there's a vessel experiencing sadness rather than I am identifying with my yeah, sadness. a sad vessel. <laughs> right? So if I'm identifying, I'm sad. But it's not about identifying, it's about not identifying. It's about having this pure consciousness as a vessel experiencing life. This is really what we are. We know we are these humans, right? We are humans that have, we have a bunch of, you know, we have several um, ways to interact with the world. We call it senses. And through those senses, we interact with the world. This is our interface with the world. But knowing that we are this much bigger thing, this consciousness that interacts with this world is the key. And meditation, at its basic form, most simple explanation is trying to separate the believing that you are in there and just experiencing it. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. Removing yourself from the vessel. Basically knowing you're a vessel. Mm -hmm. And things just, you're experiencing things and not identifying with the story, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a human that people just don't like me and that person looked at me this way. It's got nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. It's really experiencing life and not believing that all this that goes on here is with you or against you. Mm. It's a high level of understanding it. It's not easy to, you know, it's not easy to explain. But this is where really all of that, it's all different techniques. Mindfulness is a technique. So being mindful, I would say this. It's what I love about mindfulness. I feel like mindfulness is the best way to extend your life. Hmm. It's the best way to extend your life. How do you mean that? I'll tell you why. I was waiting for you to ask. <laughs> if you are going on a walk in the park mm-hmm. and you're thinking about your project at work, and your problem with your girlfriend and whatever else you need to do today, you basically walk through the park and haven't felt being in the park. If you're really in the park, paying attention to the wind touching your skin, the birds singing, walking barefoot on the grass and feeling the sensation of that, right? Every, if you're really present with the moment, that moment is so much longer. Does it happen to you sometimes when you drive on a freeway and like, shit, how did I even get yeah. here? Mm-hmm. Oh, what? I'm like five exits past where I mm. thought I'm going to be. Or there's a whole piece of road you, you drove and you can't remember being there. You can't believe you got here. It's because you're absent-minded. You are completely in, in thought. You automatically just, you're just walking or just driving, but you're not present with what you're doing. And we do it a lot. That is, um, 
such a beautiful thing and you actually use an analogy that I use all the time about driving. You changed the way I think about something right now with what you said because I use that same analogy where you drive to work every day and maybe the first time you drive to work, it's a new experience. You remember it much longer, mm -hmm. but then many times you drive and poof, you're just there. You, mm -hmm. you completely space out. Mm -hmm. And I used to think that it would require a new experience. It had to be the first time. It would have to be a new experience to really feel that length of time. But what you're saying is it doesn't need to be a new experience that you can extend your perception of, of you, that experience. So you are different every day. The sky is different every day. I go for a walk every morning and I actually look at the sky and see, oh, how is it today? Mm. Oh, it's cloudy today. Today is very dark and gray. Today is very blue. There's a couple. I'm just making sure that I realize that I'm here and I'm noticing what's around me. And that makes it very much being in a moment. Right now I'm noticing a vacuum cleaner going <laughs> <laughs> around the corner. Yeah, we apologize for the background noise, but there's going to be a vacuum for a little bit. Uh, and but that's, that's that, a new experience. That, that you're redefining what a new experience means to me because every day is a new experience. That every There's a lot to, you know, you don't need to go skydiving mm -hmm. for you to have a new experience. Exactly. That, that there's new experiences everywhere around us. Exactly. See, I don't really get, I mean, I'm sorry, some people are not going to like that, but I don't get amusement parks. Mm. It's people scaring the hell out of themselves to feel alive. Mm -hmm. You can feel alive walking down the street. Yeah. It's just, we need all these extreme things because we're like so numb. We're so numb. People are so numb. They need extreme experiences to wake up, to feel alive. Jumping off a plane, going on a roller coaster. Roller coaster. We need to do these extreme things to, to feel like, oh my God, I'm like, I got tingles in my my whole body's tingling because I'm excited because they drive to work every day. They're like basically mm -hmm. asleep. Mm -hmm. Being awake, mm. the whole thing about being awake is being awake every moment, like really experience every moment as a new moment. Wow, look at these plants, look at this tree. You know, one of the practices of um, meditation, of uh, the first practices to do with monks is they give them a flower and they have to stare at the flower for like hours and find new things in a flower. I've done it a couple of times. It's a world. Mm. You look at a flower, it's a world inside of it. So many intricate things. And, and, and if you really study the lines, you see the amazing, how amazing creation is. It's a beautiful thing. Like you look at this one thing and there's so much in it. And it teaches you to really be more aware of, there's so much stuff around us we're not seeing. And that's the new experience, especially when you're with people. The connection with people, look in someone's eyes when you talk to them and really be there. And I was with Sean in a restaurant a few, years, a few weeks ago, and he like, we had a deep conversation. He grabbed my hands, and we had this moment, like 15 minutes of talking, holding hands. And he was so vibrant and, 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 and deep and real. And it's like, you can't forget a moment like that. So why don't we do that enough? When we meet our friends, we just sometimes do the same thing as we're doing on the freeway. We're just not fully there. Mm. We're not fully present. Mm -hmm. And being fully present, listen, all we have in our life is this connection. At the end of the day, that is the most important thing we have in our life. Mm -hmm. So really appreciating them when they're there, that is living. That is being fully alive. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you found the topics interesting, be sure to stay tuned for our next two podcasts where we'll continue the conversation with Deron and cap off with a guided meditation where we go even deeper.